Um, we're in a new series that we just started last week called What God Can't Do. What God Can't Do. So if you weren't here, let me just, I'll do these two things real quick. Number one, it's not a smart alecky idea like um, we know that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time. So we're not in any way, shape, or form taking away from the sovereignty of God, the majesty of God, the power of God. But there are actually things that if you think about it, and when I say a few of them, you'll go, oh yeah, I, I see that. There are things that God intentionally uh, has designed <clears throat> that if you look at it from the point of view, he can't do it, you'll see it clearly. For instance, God can't sin. Wow. It's like, is that a shock to you? Or just like, pastor, we're so far past you that we, God can't sin. How about this? God can't leave you and he can't forsake you. Did you know he said that? How about this? God can't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, forever, right? God can't do anything that disproves that he's God. So he is like um, everything and all things and all powerful. And yet, whether you consider it that it's self-imposed that he can't do certain things or just simply that it would run contrary to who he is as God, that's what we're looking at. And so we're using that little bit of play on words to just expose some neat ideas. So today, here's what we're talking about. God can't make you love him. And if you're thinking like, why? Why wouldn't he design it where he could force that? Because that's not love. It's the equivalent of buying something that has no feeling, no animation, no choice, and then saying, that thing chose me. That wouldn't be a true statement, would it? It's only true and it's only real if there is the opportunity to go the opposite way, to choose not to love. So what's the benefit of it? That those of you who are married and in a marriage that's working, those of you with children and you know when they choose you, you know there's nothing like it when a person chooses to love you, yes or no? And there's nothing like it when a person chooses not to love you. Both of those things are true, and both of those things literally run side by side, and yet they're opposites of each other. So we're looking at this idea that God can't make you love him, but when you choose to love him, it changes everything. It's like everything gets changed by it, right? And so that's the nature of the message today. I'm going to start with this scripture uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, like right in the middle of 17, and it runs down to 20. Uh, this is Paul speaking. I pray that you... Being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, listen to this, to grasp how wide, uh, how long, how high, and deep is the love of Christ, and to know the love that surpasses knowledge. One more time, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Most people, when they quote this, love verse 20. To him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask for. But before you can get to that, you've got to have this great love relationship with God so that his power is working in your life. And so oftentimes we have this idea of, I, I, so I'm a believer, I can just ask and God will do it. So I, I think that is so misguided, so off the point, and so, it's trying to have a relationship without the love. And it just doesn't work that way. And when you have the love, then you find yourself wanting to give, wanting to do, wanting to be a part of it. And I just think this is really neat the way that Paul describes it. Trying to know love that surpasses knowledge. And just real quickly, like I, I've talked about this at different times. How do you know something that goes beyond what you can know? Think about it. 
Is it just an oxymoron? Or is, is there some mystery here that we're not understanding? How do you know something that goes beyond what you can know in your head? It's real simple. Not everything can be known in your mind. Some things have to be experienced in your heart. Love is not just known by a definition. You don't open the dictionary and read what Webster says, then quote it and understand love. You can know love by a definition, and that gives you part of the equation. But love isn't fully known until it's experienced in the heart. And this is what Paul is trying to teach. You can know it at a certain level, in the natural, in your mind. But you can't really know how, how big it is, how wide it is, how deep it is, how awesome it is, until you're experiencing it in your heart. That's where we're trying to take you to today and to talk about it, how we see that thing happen in our life. So if you are taking the online uh, fill-in-the-blank notes, I'll give you the fill-in-the-blanks here. If you are taking your own notes, that's great. And if you just want to listen... Whatever works best for you. Here's the first one. Don't underestimate. Before I give it to you, don't underestimate the power of what I'm about to say. God loves you. Wow, that was an underestimate. If there ever was one, that was it. Say it one more time. God loves you. And that was fake if I've ever heard fake too. That's somewhere between the two things. We need to find reality. John 3, 16. So this is like a cultural scripture, meaning that even if you're not a Christ follower, this is like at sporting events. It's at the Super Bowl. Some guy in the end zone holds up John 3, 16. Uh, it's quoted over and over. So even if you're not a believer and you don't read the Bible, you probably have some working definition of John 3, 16, which is God so he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What I love about that, it encapsulates all of God's heart for what the whole plan of salvation is put in this little verse right here. And of course, you read this, this entire, so Paul says it's a love that's higher, deeper, wider, and bigger than you could ever know just in your brain. It will not only take you a lifetime, but it'll take you all of eternity to actually discover how much God loves you. Think about that right there. But this encapsulates, like in just a few sentences, everything that God has for us, what he's, what he's desiring for us, what his plan and purpose through Jesus was. God so loved that he gave so that we can be with him. So we, we are accustomed to taking the cliche sentence, God loves you, and relegating it to a Sunday school class or a children's church class or a little page that a kid... We think it's neat when a kid can come home and sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And listen to my statement, right? I, I wrote it so I could say it perfectly. The single most important truth, if you're looking for theological depth, if you're looking for the mystery of the gospel, if you're looking for what it's all about and why people would lay their lives down, why would people allow themselves to, to literally be killed, be tortured, uh, be jailed for this gospel? It's this truth right here. The single most important understanding, mystery, revelation of the gospel is this, that Jesus loves you. It's how you start, how you build, how you maintain, and how you mature in God. And you will never outgrow it. You will never get past it. You can learn a million mysteries about theology. But if you miss the love part, you'll misunderstand everything else too. You'll blow it. It will become religion to you, and you'll actually use religion to do damage if you miss the love part. Love is always the foundational truth. It's always the thing to keep discovering. It begins with love, and it ends with love. 
And we tend to downplay that. We tend to relegate that to some, some childhood understanding. You will never outgrow it. 1 Corinthians 13, um, any pastor that has done a wedding at some point has probably been asked to read these verses in a wedding. And they're great truth for a wedding. But the fact of the matter is Paul didn't write this as a wedding manual. He wrote it for day-to-day living for all believers to try to understand how, how, how wide, how tall, how deep, and how long is the love of Christ. So 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 6, and verse 13 kind of then pulls it all together. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be... Think about that. God, how many churches and believers strive to have some kind of faith that could move mountains? And he's saying it's secondary to getting love. Love. We spend all of our time trying to figure out mysteries and miss the obvious. Love. <laughs> if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't have love uh, for others, I would have gained nothing. And then this part, right, is just uh, like, it's poetic, it's powerful, it's succinct, it's, it's awesome. Love is patient, and love is kind, and love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. And it's really beautiful to read that way, but how do we know if we're doing it? And a secret I learned is wherever it says love, put your name. So let's read it that way. Um, see, Becca, wrong place, wrong time. Uh, <laughs> I'm teasing. Becca is patient. And Becca is kind. Where's Todd right now? Like he could be like this. <laughs> Becca is not jealous and Becca is not boastful and Becca is not proud. And Becca is not rude. It's just John. Kathleen, DJ, DJ, <laughs> never demands his own way. DJ is never, ir- look, DJ's covering Cammy's ears right now. <laughs> DJ is never irritable, and DJ keeps no record of being wrong, and DJ does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. And it's so good, and it's so powerful, but something is funny. Whenever we put our name in it, all of a sudden, we re- that's weird, because I don't... Mm, Yes or no? Now, like if you're sitting here thinking, that's perfect scripture for me, pastor. (laughs) I want you to meet me afterwards, man. There's a deliverance thing that needs to happen in your life. So here, so let me, let's just, let's do a diametrically opposed thing. If I say, can you go back? Can you, can you back up? Yeah, stop there. Um, So if I say Jesus is patient. And if I say that Jesus is kind. And if I say that Jesus is never jealous, never boastful, never proud, and never rude, it goes, doesn't it? Yeah. And it fits, and it just like flows, and we just go, of course, that, that because Jesus is that. But look at me. We're not supposed to just recognize that Jesus is that. We are supposed to be becoming more and more like Jesus. If this is working, then we're becoming more like Jesus. And if we're not, the only litmus test of the gospel that it's working in our lives is that we're becoming more like Jesus. Now, you don't become like Jesus overnight. You don't become like Jesus in a week. And I think it takes a lifetime plus eternity. 
to keep working these things in our lives, right? And some get certain ones easier and some struggle with other ones. And I'll address that in just a moment. My point just simply is this, like this love thing. If you think this is relegated to some children's church downstairs, I bet you're not actually trying to do it. And then there's a real mystery because you trying to do it is the most false thing in the world. It's his power that wills and works in you for his good pleasure. And learning, instead of you trying harder, learning to let God and be led by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the whole gospel is summed up in this. You can't, but he can and he will. Did I say it too fast? <laughs> it is good. It really is. It's good. It's, just, it's on the mark. Um, so succinct, let's pull it all together. These three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and... And then, so he pulls the preeminent one out and just settles all the argument. And the greatest of these things, the greatest of faith, the greatest of hope, the greatest of love, the greatest one is? Love. It'll be here through everything. Look, love is how you start. Love is how you build. Love is how you mature. And love is how you finish. Love is everything. We'll never get beyond that. Love is everything. Uh, Mark chapter 12. This is Jesus' words talking about this idea. Of course, if I tried to incorporate every scripture where we're told to love and it talks about love, there's just not enough room. One message would never suffice. I mean, I don't know how long a series like that would take. It'd be interesting. Leslie, it'd be, it'd be really interesting to try to figure it out. But uh, this is Jesus. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then the second is equal in importance to the first, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these two commandments. And in fact, in one of the other gospels, it says this, if you do this, you fulfill all the law of the prophets and everything that's ever been written. So the whole thing is fulfilled and the whole thing is practiced and the whole thing is done when we love God and we love other people. And that's easy. See if you're paying attention. <laughs> Again, how do you measure? Is this working? Am I just fooling myself? Is it changing me? How do you measure that? We're not asked to measure it in how much we write a check for, or how much we pray, or how many times we go to church, or whether or not we go to a foreign mission field. The whole thing is measured in how we're loving. How are you loving? How's it working out in your marriage? How's it working out with your children or with your parents? How's it working out at work? How's it working out when you drive? Yeah, I know. Put my finger on the one. There it is. I lightened it up just a little bit because I know it gets heavy. And by the way, this is not a condemning message. Look, the, the, the hope of this message is not for you to say, oh man, I, I, look, I think I'm making the hope of this message. What I want you to do is surrender. I don't want you to leave here trying harder. If you go out of here trying harder, I have failed in what I'm teaching you. I want you to surrender because you realize the futility of trying to do what Jesus does. You are not Jesus, but Jesus lives in you. 
And if you will surrender to this life that he calls you to, man, you die and he lives. What a deal. It really is a good deal. Here's the second one if you want to fill in the blank. Uh, Give what you have. Maybe another way to say it is you can only give what you have. You can't give what you don't have. It's a principle in the natural, and it's a principle in the spirit. So I'm going to like transition real quickly, and you're going to go, how in the world are you connecting dots from there to there when you're talking about um, like how we love? So Ephesians 5.25. Now, this one was written as a little bit of a manual of what a marriage should look like, and we're only going to talk about husbands in this particular part. So Paul writes, husbands, what? So this, yeah, I only heard women just now. I didn't hear one man. I'm not one man. I heard high pitched, love, love your wife. Just like lean over, love your wife. So let's try it one more time. Husbands, men, well done. Testosterone. I, Husbands, love your wives like you saw your dad do it. Like you read in a novel. So we had like maybe. (laughs) The answer to that is no. No. It's wrong. So I had a little fun last night. And I know, look, Oprah is awesome. Oprah's done a lot. And people love to take advice from Oprah about all sorts of things. uh, In particular, marriage. And then there's just one glaring fact. Like what, what is it? She's not married. And you're an expert about something until you do it. Yes or no? I'm not saying she doesn't get a relationship, but marriage is completely different. And especially this marriage right here. This isn't marriage like the latest, greatest teaching that's out there on how to be. This is like if you really want to be married, then learning to die to your flesh is necessary so that your marriage can become everything God wants it to be. Because you can't love somebody if you're still trying to take care of you first. Thank you for that huge amen, that overwhelming Love your wives like Jesus loves the church or like Jesus loves you. So this is supernatural love. This is not natural love. This is not love that you can conjure up in your brain. This is where that scripture comes together. How can we know love that surpasses knowledge? Natural love can be known in your mind, but supernatural love can only be experienced in your heart. And this is the love we're required to give, not only to a wife, not only to a husband, but we're required to give each other this kind of love. And yes, those are two different loves. The way you love a wife, the way you love a husband is different than how you love a friend. But by definition, this kind of love is supernatural, which is I love you. Do you love me back? I love you. If you're kind to me, I love you. Uh, Will you be nice? This kind of love just says this. I love you, period. So whether you acknowledge me, whether you choose me, whether you want me or not, I still choose to love you. That's supernatural love. Think that's easy? And the only way that love is possible, look at me, said this for 23 years. Look, one more time, follow me. You cannot love this way until you love this way. Because you have no definition for what supernatural love is unless you receive it. You cannot give what you do not have. You must receive this kind of love this way in a connection to God before you can love people this way. And if you want to find out how difficult it is, cut yourself off this way and try to live life this way only. The world becomes a brutally difficult place to function in unless you're connected to God. So stay with me on this. Stay with me. The enemy's number one job in a believer's life is to disconnect you from God. 
He will send everything he can constantly in a barrage without a break, trying to disconnect you from being in a love relationship with the Father. If he can disconnect you this way, then he's got you trying to do it in your own strength and power. And no believer is a match trying to do it in their own strength and power. Your only hope is to allow God to will and to work for his good pleasure in your life. Do you get what I'm saying right now? So it's like, it's, it's like, this is not to be just like acquiesce. Don't acquiesce to me in your mind. Don't say yes to me. Like, yes, get this in your heart right now. Get this in your heart. It doesn't change till it gets in the heart to love this way. The enemy works unceasingly to disconnect you from God. Therefore, therefore, your number one job is to do whatever you have to do to stay connected to God. So for me, not you, but for me, that means my mornings have to be chosen intentionally that I cannot get up casually and then let the day decide how much time I spend with God. Because the day will always decide you don't have enough time to spend with God. Anybody else live in that world right there? So what I have to do is get up or sometimes earlier and earlier and earlier and carve out the time when no one, do I like getting up early? No, my flesh hates getting up early. It hates it. It asks me every time, what are you doing? Stay in the bed. For this flesh needs to die. Understand what I'm saying, not a death wish. What my flesh wants to do, my spirit has to become stronger than my flesh. My spirit cries out to be connected to the creator. So I get up when no one else is up and I spend that time being connected to God because before I know it, the phone will ring, the texts will come, the emails will happen, builders want my attention, architects want my attention, banks want my, they don't want my attention, they want my money. That's what they all want, they want my money. They want your money, actually, that's what they want. I'm married, five children, 12 grandchildren. Yay. Yay is right. Yay. Do you think like that's, hey man, five minutes and you're done with that. That's like a ever increasing. Any other grandparent get what I'm saying? Like, you know, it's like, and you know, I'm just pointing this out to say that it, th this disconnection is not always some wicked thing that comes your way. It's just that life has so many things with it to disconnect you from. You only have so much time. And you have to decide. God's supposed to get the first. You have to do whatever it takes to be connected this way so that you can then live this way. Because I can't love Chris right unless I've experienced this love first thing in the morning. That's me. I, probably not you, but me. And I can't love my staff and I can't love you. And I can't give what I need to give when I stand up here unless I've been spending time with this wife. Do you, you know that, right? This isn't about how, how good I can do it after 30 some odd years. It's about whether or not I was in his presence. Like, can you say Pastor John was with Jesus before he started talking to us? So important. Uh, I'm lingering a little too long. Uh, John 15, four through nine. This is called the great priestly prayer, meaning that Jesus taught this 
illustration. And then he begins to pray for disciples and not just the disciples of that day, 2,000 years ago, but he prays for all disciples, all time, knowing that 2,000 years later, a group would be sitting in Lone Tree, Colorado, listening to a message about love. And so Jesus teaches these really powerful words, remain in me and I will remain in you. One more time, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. And I don't know why, but oftentimes I try to be the vine and make him the branch. When I try to go out and do this of myself, I'm, what I'm saying really is the power is within me. And it is, <laughs> apart from me, you can do. Nothing. Say it with me. Apart from me, you can do. Nothing. Wow, that's leaves little room for. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words, my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. It goes back to that first scripture in Ephesians that says that we can ask and God wants to do, but it's all predicated on this love relationship first. It's the equivalent of like walking up to a stranger and saying, hey, would you do this for me? Why would a stranger do anything for? It's only through relationship that, Correct. It's only through relationship. <laughs> I read this. I don't mean to be offensive. Um, <laughs> three things that always tell the truth. You know, it's what people like about me and don't like about me. It's that double-edged sword. But three things that always tell the truth. Little children. Drunk people. And yoga pants. Always tell the truth. terrible, isn't it? It really is like, <laughs> you know, what's funny is everybody has a picture in their mind. Don't they? Like, true. So true. I'm going to throw those things away this afternoon. Three. Uh, let's just talk about the fruit of the spirit real quick. Uh, Galatians chapter five gives a juxtaposition to the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. It's just like um, no candy coating, no holds barred. It's not pulling punches. It's just like, let me write it, and you need to, you need to get this. Uh, the whole law can be summed up in this one command. <laughs> Here it is again. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you, like, does that wash over you and you catch that? Everything can be summed up in this one thing. So um, a practicing, observant Jewish person is trying to do 613 things. 613 laws. And here it's simplified. Everything can be done in this one thing. Just love people. Love them like you love yourself. So the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbors yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. And beware of destroying one another. So I just, it's not political, but it's one point. Yes or no, we live in this day and age politically. Biting and devouring and turning on each other and just consuming each other constantly. Yes or no? It's just like you can just see it out there, right? 
It's not a political statement. It's just, this is the day we live in. Um, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit of God wants to do. The Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These are two forces. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Don't go to the next page real quickly. So there's a description here of the Christian life put in terms of a battle that's going on. And here's what it says. As long as you're in this body, you're at war with two things. You've got flesh that wants a certain thing and you've got a spirit that wants the certain thing. And so you find yourself at war at times. Paul says it this way, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And then his conclusion is, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. And my point just simply is this. If you sit here today and hear a message like this and you're feeling like, man, I'm not measuring up. What is that real quickly? It's what's being described here. There's a war going on in your life. It's not the proof that you're not dedicated, that you're not serious, and that you're not on the right road. If there's a battle going on in your life and a juxtaposition of good and evil and right and wrong, and you find yourself, some days you do good, and some days you do bad, and some days you want to do better, and some days you find yourself wanting to do wrong, what is that? It's not that God doesn't live in you. It's the proof that he does live in you. It's the proof that you're going the right direction because people that don't know God don't have a battle. They're always headed down a road where they don't recognize the difference between the two things. You recognize it because you are born again. You are born again. But of course, we have an enemy who stands there and says, you feel this way because you're not really serious about God or you're not really born again or you're not really trying to do the right thing. He's just a condemner and a liar. And the truth of the matter is if you stand here and find yourself in a battle, a battle with your thoughts, how about a habit that is inconsistent with what it means to be a Christ follower? Now, I know not in this room, but I do know there are people <laughs> who have habits that are inconsistent with what it means to be a follower of Christ. Know anybody like that? And what is that? That's this battle that's being talked about right here. It's this battle. Now, let's just finish it up. So when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasure, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Aren't you glad it doesn't end right there? It's like that... <laughs> But let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Tell me what the first one is. Love. One more time. Love. Love. Who, who produces that in our lives? So you're not out trying to do these things. Your job is to love God. That's your job. Love God. Stay connected to God. And his work in your life will produce these things in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of you need more of that in your life? Yeah. Me too, man. Double portion for me. I need more love, more joy, more peace, more, more. And then he just concludes that there is no law against these things. 
So the result of a love relationship with the Holy Spirit is love. Um, I'm going to close it with this. Just like try to illustrate this point real quickly. Um, Chris and I this year will be married 38 years. It's a long time. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome thing. Um, when I first got married, I came out because I had a, had a biological father who abandoned um, his two sons, me and my brother Steve. I was three and my brother was two. And I, you know, when you become an adult and you can look back and you can take the, the, um, the hurt out of it and just look at it for what it is, here, here's how I kind of sum it up. Like, um, he didn't have that thing in his heart that when he looked at his kids, it clicked and it said, these are my kids and no matter what, I'll always be with them. And so I was so afraid that before I had children, I didn't know if I had that thing either. Will I do what my dad, because statistically, that's where statistics come from. We perpetuate the thing that we saw or that we experienced, right? It doesn't have to, but that's statistically speaking, the odds are higher that if you were in that kind of atmosphere, you might do that kind of atmosphere. So I was so afraid. And then uh, Amy's born and I looked into that baby's eyes and it clicked instantly. No matter what happens, that is my child. I will die for that child. But more importantly, I will live for that child. And it clicked, and I was so glad it clicked. It clicked so well, I did it four more times after that. <laughs> and you might go, man, you're really into children. Nope, I'm really into their mom. That's the truth of the matter. <laughs> so, follow me. And the other one was the one that abandoned. My mom met an awesome man named John Leach who adopted us and loved us. And I learned the power of adoption and what it means. And then he was tragically killed in an automobile accident when I was 11 years old. And then in a, you know, like in this tricky place, my mom had met another man and um, <laughs> he, he was abusive. I just know, there's just no other way to say it. He would use his fist. He was a bully. And, you know, it's easy to bully somebody that's smaller than you, but as we grew up, it wasn't like that. So when my brothers and I would stand up to him, the problem was he would then go and take it out on my mom more. It was this really terrible thing, right? And there's a lot to be said about that. Like, if you sit here and you hear and you think, man, I'm in a situation like that, and what can I do about it? First, get out of it. Like, just hear me say it. You're not honoring God to stay in a situation where someone's beating you up. I'll come over here and say it. You're not honoring the Lord to stay in a situation where somebody's just, you're, that's not what it means to submit to somebody. That's not it. But that's, I digress, but just real quickly. So I had watched, and so then I had this fear that I might do that to my wife. And I'm not a violent person, but I just, I was just like the enemy played this, put me in the trick bag and like, you know, you know so his, his MO was that he'd always wait till we get settled, get in school for a little bit, our lives would settle down and then we'd come home and all of his stuff would be gone. And sometimes it was for a couple days, sometimes for a few weeks, one time it was 11 months. And it would uproot our family. What a, what a difficult, difficult, like, place of time. But man, I had a great mother, awesome mother. Like if you say, how do you survive those things? One of them would be God is really good. And I had an awesome mom. 
just listen to this. So I get married. I'm afraid I won't bond with my kids, that I might leave them. And then I'm afraid maybe I'll hit my wife. And I know you think like, come on, John. That, it was a real fear to me. I've, I even remember praying. I was a young man. I remember praying, God, if I would ever do that, I'd, I'd rather you kill me than let me do this and let my wife and my children have to live through something like that. And that's how serious I was about it. Which I know, like you're sitting there thinking, you, pastor? Me. And I get married, and look at me real quickly. Just I'll sum it up. The curse stopped with me. The curse stopped with me. Which is not about me. It's about God's goodness. All about God's goodness. Not about your pastor. It's all about God's goodness. But my point of this whole thing is just simply this. Dude, I lived the first few years of my marriage trying not to do the wrong thing. Ooh, I don't want to make a mistake and lose my temper and hit. Ooh, I, I don't want to get so upset or so out of it that I would pick up and leave. And can I just tell you, life is no fun and an incredibly dreary, horrible burden when all you're doing is trying not to do the wrong thing. You want to know how to live life? Live life loving God. Give everything to God and watch then how it changes everything this way. Everything can be summed up. This love relationship can be summed. Love God and watch how love will flow out of you. Watch how it will flow out of you. So we come to the end of it and they're going to play a song right now. I don't want you to stand to your feet. I don't want you to like give any action to this other than I'd like for two things. Would you open your heart right now? Even if you don't go to Jubilee. Even if you're just visiting this morning. Can we all be in the same place that we all need Jesus to speak to our hearts right now? We need the Holy Spirit to reproduce love in our lives right now. So can you open your heart for just a moment, close your eyes, and let the words of this song, good, good father, wash over you right now. I'd prefer, really, if you didn't sing it. If you just listen to it and just let it wash over you and open your heart right now so that the Holy Spirit might have one small, all it takes is one small opportunity for him to do a lifetime of work right now. A lifetime of work. So, Father, we open our hearts to you. Lord, we freely admit that the only good thing that can happen today would be that you touch all of us. And so, Lord, our common denominator is that we need you, and we know that you're good to us. And so we just ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill our lives. God, the things that get in the way, the things that we wrestle with, the things that we're disappointed by, the things that we struggle with, just right now, God, would you come? Would you just touch our lives? I believe a moment can equal a lifetime. God, in a moment right now, touch wounds, heal scars. God, remove things and place things. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We ask you to help us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.